Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Hope you're well. Ian has just stolen my introduction, which is a bit disappointing, but it's, um, it is what it is. So, as he said, since the 11th of April last year, with a few breaks, we have been in our series called Heart and House. Um, series um, looking at the books of 1 and 2 Samuel, which is actually one book. Um, so we have been referring to it as books, but it's actually one continuous book, um, Samuel 1 and 2. Have I got a bit of echo on this mic? Thanks, so you can sort that for me. Um, so today, by my reckoning, this is the 39th and final message from this series. Um, was anyone there the first week? Can anyone remember? Yeah, a few hands. Good, a few of you. Good. Um, Alex, what was, um, what was the three key points? I'm joking. <laughs> um, but brilliant. But yeah, today marks the final um, couple of chapters of our series. And then, as Ian said, we are really looking forward to um, moving into our summer series um, in the Psalms next week as we um, look to God to refresh us as a church and as a people. And Lewis will be kicking us off um, next week in Psalm 1. And before we dive into today's text, I want to tell you a story. And as I tell you that story, I want you to put yourself in the middle of that story. I want you to imagine that you have got the best seat in the house. You are, you're sat there, you're looking at it. Oh, this cable's really annoying, isn't it? And um, I want you just to be that person with the best view. So the story takes place in Palestine. And there is this blind man sat at the side of the road. And the dust at the side of the road. He's, he's blind, he's desperate, and he's just covered in muck and dust. As he sits there, more and more dust is coming up and is, is, is just sitting on him as more people gather and they, they walk by him and there's a big crowd gathering full of people. And, and he says, excuse me, excuse me, I can't see. Could someone tell me what on earth is going on? Just keep walking past. And he says, excuse me, could someone just tell me what is going on? They continue to walk past. Ah, someone, I'm blind. I can't see. Would someone just tell me what is going on? Eventually, one of the passerbys from this crowd bends down towards him and he says, Jesus of Nazareth is passing through. Jesus of Nazareth is passing through the town. At that moment, the, the blind man fills up with hope. And he lets out this massive shout at the top of his voice, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. But some of the crowd look at him and they, they kind of go, oh, be quiet. Would you stop speaking? Stop making a noise. And the blind man just gets infuriated and it just kind of riles him up even more. And he fills his lungs and he goes again, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, at that very moment, hears his cry, and he orders the man to come near him, and he says, man, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man, in his brokenness, looks up at Jesus, and he says, Lord, I want to see. So Jesus looked at him, and, and he said to him, man, receive your sight, your faith has healed you. Immediately, the man opens his eyes and he sees. He can see everything around him and he just erupts into this massive praise of God, yelling, Jesus, thank you. I'm going to follow you. I am following you with all my life. Thank you for giving me my sight. 
And as he looked round, it wasn't just him that was praising. All the people that were walking past and all the people that were gathered around the blind man follow him, and they start praising God. This blind man in the story had faith. And it's that exact same faith that the blind man had in that story that we should have as we read through the book of 1 and 2 Samuel. See, this book should give us faith in a king and a kingdom. Not the king and kingdom of David, but the king and kingdom of Jesus. You see, the response to the book for us should be just like that of the blind man. Lord, have mercy on me. Let's pray before we dive in. Father God, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for the way that it, it speaks us, speaks to us, the, the way it challenges us, the way that it changes us. Lord, I ask by the, the power of your spirit this morning, Lord, even just as we're sat in this room, maybe thinking this isn't super significant, Lord, I pray by the power of your spirit we would see more of Jesus. Lord, I pray that like the blind man and in Palestine in this story, Lord, I pray that we would have a desperation to meet with you this morning. A desperation for an encounter with you, a touch from heaven this morning. Lord, you know what we need. Would you strengthen us? Would you equip us? Would you build us up in faith this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So you may have noticed that um, 1 and 2 Samuel begin in a very similar way to how it ends. The book starts with Hannah, this woman who um, is unable to conceive. And um, her circumstances are a picture of the spiritual barrenness of Israel. You see, it was a lifeless place. Eli, who was the, the priestly, um, the, the priest for the um, tabernacle, even Eli um, had become a, self, a house for self-indulgence. You see, it wasn't a house for God. They were drinking the wine and they were drinking the meat of the sacrifices. They were using their position to get sexual favors. You see, the spiritual climate of Israel was such that Eli, the high priest, rather than assuming Hannah was godly, he assumed she was drunk when she was crying out to God in the, in the temple. You see, much like Israel, we live in a spiritually barren climate. Do you know that less than 1% of this nation regularly attend a church that preaches the gospel? And we see it all around us, don't we? Church buildings that used to be prominent buildings preaching the word of God week in, week out are turned into bars, nightclubs. People who used to have an appetite for God just not interested anymore. See, much like Israel, Glasgow and Scotland is a spiritually barren place. Yet, it's in this context that we find this faithful woman, Hannah, crying out to the Lord. Remember in 1 Samuel chapter 2, I'm taking us way back, um, she calls out for a son. She calls out to God, Lord, give me a son. And in his kindness, he hears her plea. And along comes Samuel. 
Samuel becomes this great prophet for God, and he restores the word of the Lord to the land. And in response to God's provision, Hannah just bursts into this song of hope in chapter 2, just the same kind of song that Mary would burst into 1,000 years later. It was true hope from the hopelessness. You see, God can do all kinds of things with those people who've got a little bit of humility and a little bit of faith. This nation of ours used to be known as the land of the book. But now look at it. It's barren, just like Israel. But there is hope. Perhaps there is a Hannah in the room this morning. Literally. (laughs) Are you willing this morning to cry out to God with a little bit of humility and a little bit of faith? You see, it could be your prayers that turn Scotland back to Jesus. Your prayers. So fast forward to the people of Israel. They were desperate for a king. A king like all the other nations had. Despite Samuel reminding them that their true king is God himself. You see, the people persisted that they wanted a king. So so God gave them Saul. And we know from our... Um, study that that didn't really end very well, did it? It didn't go particularly well. But, but one day, God leads Samuel to the house of Jesse. And Jesse has his seven sons all lined up, one in a row. And they go along each son and they say, Oh, no, you're not really fit for this. What about the next one? Ah, nah, not you either. Sorry. You? No, not another one. And they keep going along. Six sons come and go, and they weren't found to be right. And Jesus says, Jesse, are these all the sons you have? It was like that penny-clicking moment, penny-dropping moment. And Jesse says, ah, David, my last remaining son out in the field, the forgotten son, let me get him. So David comes in and is anointed as the surprising king. You see a lot of years of hurt, running from Saul across the desert, hiding in caves and crags. And the promises that just seemed like they would never come to fruition. But finally, David is crowned king. And this king, unlike Saul, had a heart after God's own heart. Yet, it was another prophet, Nathan, who God spoke to to make an everlasting covenant. A promise of hesed love with David and his descendants. You know, that everlasting, unfailing, that one-way love of God. So we're going to pick up the story. It's going to seem a bit strange. We're going to go back to come forward. So we're going to pick up the story in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 11 to 17. So if you've got your Bible with you, I encourage you to have that open. Um, If not, the words will be on the screen. So it says... The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over you, or, or over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. 
When he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod wielded by men, with floggings inflicted by human hands. But my love will never be taken away from him, as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom shall endure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Nathan reported to David all the words of this entire revelation. This super significant moment in the story, an everlasting covenant made, a promise of one to come from the house of David, from the tribe of Judah. And we know now that that one, that anointed one, the king, the better David, the one who will be throned forever, a better kingdom than Israel, the one that will last forever, and his name is Jesus, and he has brought God's kingdom with him. So like the man on the side of the road, we can have faith and we can cry out, Lord, have mercy on me. The Messiah has come. You see, the book of 1 and 2 Samuel takes us to King Jesus and his kingdom. The past two weeks, we have been in recap mode, getting the little bonus material at the end of this um, book. And Ian has been explaining to us how the writer has been summing up the story. Now, we don't have time to read all of chapters 23 and 24. He might be um, relieved, some of you are like, that's good, because it's quite long. We hear it all day. Um, So I am going to focus on verses 1 to 7 in chapter 23, but I would highly encourage you to go away and read the rest of the two chapters at some other time. But these seven short verses just wonderfully sort of sum up our final two chapters. So um, let's just turn to 2 Samuel 23. Um, And we will read verses 1 to 7, which says, These are the last words of David, the inspired utterance of David, son of Jesse, the utterance of the man exalted by the Most High, the man anointed by the God of Jacob, the hero of Israel's songs. The Spirit of the Lord spoke through me. His word was on my tongue. The God of Israel spoke. The rock of Israel said to me, when one rules over people in righteousness, when he rules in the fear of God, he is like the light of morning at sunrise on a cloudless morning, like the brightness after rain that brings grass from the earth. If my house were not right with God, surely he would would not have made with me an everlasting covenant, arranged and secured in every part. Surely he would not bring to fruition my salvation, And grant me every desire. But evil men are all to be cast aside like thorns, which are not gathered with the hand. Whoever touches thorns uses a tool of iron or the shaft of a spear. They are burned up where they lie. So a couple of weeks ago, a couple of weeks ago, um, we were sat in Menorca Airport, coming back from a lovely holiday. And um, we had to endure what started as a three-hour delay, which then turned to a five-hour delay, then turned to an eight-hour delay. Thank you, Jet2. Um, and during our delay, there were many things that really started to annoy me. If, if you really want to know, ask Lynn, because I actually think she'll tell you the truth, which is that I was probably the most annoying of them all. But the one that really irritated me was that pre-recorded message that gets played out in airports. Do you know what? The one that's really loud that says something along the lines of, this is a reminder to all passengers, please keep your baggage close to you, whatever it is. So annoying. And it just went over and over again. It was just constant. It was like the record was stuck. 
And it was, the airport was absolutely desperate for us to hear that message. It just non-stop, it was so annoying for eight hours. And that's the thing about repetition, isn't it? It gets our attention. And it's a bit like that at the start of this passage. You see, the writer is drawing us at the start of this passage to the fact that David has spoken. And it's not just any message that he's speaking. It is a divine message. It's an utterance, as the NIV puts it, or or an oracle, as the ESV puts it. You see, this is a message from God through David. In verse 2, the point is repeated for a third time. It says, the Spirit of the Lord spoke through me. His word was on my tongue. See, from the deathly silence of Israel's, from Israel on Eli's day, one humble woman cried out in faith. From those cries, a baby was born, and Hannah responds in hopeful song. A faithful prophet is raised, And Samuel begins to preach the way of the Lord in the land again. And now the surprising choice of God's anointed himself sings in God's faithfulness to raise him up. David, a man after God's own heart, is ruling in Israel. And life has come. The barren nation that was stuck in worldly comparisons has emerged again as a kingdom to display God's glory to the nations. You see, when God speaks, life comes. I don't know if you remember these things called cardboard testimonies. Does anyone remember those? A few people. A few people are like, what on earth? I don't think I was as old as I was, but maybe I am. Um, you might have seen them on YouTube or Facebook, but there were these sort of pieces of cardboard that a lot of churches did. On, on one side of the piece of cardboard, it had a statement about what their life was like before they were in Christ. And then on the other side, as they flipped it over, it would have a statement of what their life was like now in Christ. It was this illustration of of how God had transformed that person's life. It would be something like, I was lost, flip it over, but now I'm found. Or I was an orphan, but now I'm a daughter or a son of the Most High. I was broken, but now I am restored. Or as the blind man might have said, I was blind, but now... I see. You see, God reveals himself through his spoken word. For me, I remember hearing these famous verses in John chapter 3, 16, when I, was a, when I was a young kid, and it was explained to me for the first time. It was like just that moment where God revealed himself. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And it was a really simple thing that was for God so loved Johnny that he gave his one and only son. And it was in that moment that God revealed himself to me through the word of God. And my life has been transformed, continues to be transformed. You see, I am alive in Christ. If you're sat here today as a a follower of Christ, Christ has revealed himself to you through his word. And like these cardboard testimonies, we all have a story to tell. We all have a story to tell. You might be thinking as I was saying that, oh, what would be my story? Let me encourage you, try it. Write it down. Why don't over lunch today, why don't we discuss this? You know, what's your testimony? Just give us a little snippet of what your life was like before and your life was after. You see, stories like this increase our faith for what Jesus has done and what he can do. 
But maybe you're sat in the room today and you, you don't know what, Christ, what life in Christ is like. Let me just say this. Thank you for coming. We are, we are so glad that you are here this morning with us. And this is a, a great place to explore what a life of faith looks like. And as you do that, as you, as you stay with us and, and just hear things said, we pray for you. We pray that um, God, who deeply loves you, would transform your life. And one day that you would have a story of your own to tell. One day you'll be able to flip over that bit of cardboard and you'll be able to reflect on what your life was like and what your life is like now. You see, there is nothing better than being transformed by Jesus. You see, God speaks, and when he speaks, life comes. Fast forward a thousand years later, and 400 years of silence, a baby is born, and a faithful woman sings a new song of hope. And her cousin Elizabeth she also has a child. And when he grows, he comes preaching and prophesying, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. He tells of the one coming after him, Mary's child, who comes preaching from Luke 4, verse 18, which says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. And he says, the time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. See, the kingdom of God advances through the teaching and preaching of his word. There is good news for all of us. And what do you do when you have good news? You want to tell everyone about it, don't you? You get that good news and you just tell everyone. So the good news of the gospel is to be shared. There's no better news that anyone could receive. Rejoice, because Christian, if you are in the room today, God has spoken to you and he has brought you life. That's good news. That is great news. You were lifeless. You were dead. You were without hope. You were totally stuck. But the good news of the gospel is that your life has been transformed through Jesus. So this week, will you step out in faith and share the good news? Maybe it's just as simple as telling someone your story. Maybe it's simple as, as just telling them, oh, before Jesus I was like this and now I'm like this. Point one. God speaks and life comes. Point two, God, the everlasting rock. So what is it or who is it in your life that is the rock? You know, we all have these times where we come into difficulties or where troubles face us. And where we go tells a lot about who we are. You see, the pandemic taught us many things, didn't it? I've just gone there and used the, the pandemic word. Um, but the pandemic taught us many things. And one of the big questions that it taught us or asked us was, what do we build our lives upon? You see, the pandemic hit and restrictions came in and restrictions came in and restrictions came in and life changed. Life changed. 
I think we can all identify with that feeling during that moment of, oh, my life maybe isn't quite as secure as I once thought it was. You see, our jobs changed. We all became experts at working from home. Our relationships changed. We couldn't see each other. We couldn't just get together like this. Our interaction with each other changed. We all became experts on Zoom. For a lot of us, life suddenly felt pretty empty, didn't it? Life suddenly felt pretty unstable, a little bit shaky, not as solid as we maybe once thought it was. You see, what we build upon and what we turn to in those moments reveal a lot about who or what we trust. You see, David has been through many difficulties in his life. And in verses 3 to 5, he recalls that God is the rock of Israel. The God who made an everlasting covenant with his house, arranged and secured in every part. See, Jesus tells this really familiar story in Matthew chapter 7, 24 to 27. I'm just going to quickly read it to us. But you will be familiar with it. This is where one-handed microphone use isn't as good. So, um, it says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against his house. Yet it did not fall because it, it had foundations on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. The question Jesus is really asking us in this passage is a really simple one. Do you want to be wise or do you want to be a fool? It's a simple question, isn't it? And I'm going to make an assumption that I I hope I'm right with, but I'm going to make an assumption that all of us sitting in this room want to be a wise people rather than a foolish people. If so, if that is you, Jesus tells us the key to success in this story, and it's simple, build upon the rock. See, Pat Barrett was this writer of this well-known song called Build My Life. We, We sing it quite a lot at church. says this, life rarely behaves with our plans. And it usually in the uncertainty and the not knowing and the trials that reveals what we've been standing on and what we put our trust in. The invitation of Jesus is to build our lives on things that last. So, mo- so many things in, our, in, in life don't last, don't they? So many things we, we can't trust in. Everywhere we look, we see it. Why should we trust in politicians? Why should we trust in our friends when they feel like they let us down? Why should we trust in church leaders when they make silly decisions? The good news is that there is one person we can trust in, and his name is Jesus. And he promises that he will never let you down. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Isaiah says, trust in the Lord forever. For the Lord, the Lord himself, is the rock eternal. See, David has this confidence 
in the everlasting covenant of the rock. And because of Jesus, we can too. So whatever life throws our way, we can stand firm. Because of the firm foundation of Jesus, we're standing on an immovable, everlasting love of Christ. The kind of love that never runs dry, that never runs out on you. It doesn't have an expiry date. The rock of ages is with you. A couple of months ago, family friends of ours received some pretty devastating news. The husband had collapsed at their house and had been rushed into hospital with a heart attack. The doctors rallied round him and gave him great care, but unfortunately the chances of survival were very slim. The family had two options. One, rush him in an ambulance to another hospital, give him a chance to fight for his life, get some specialist care. Or option two, leave him where he is and peacefully pass away. And the doctors asked the question. The wife looked at them this and she said, we are Christians. We have no reason to fear death. We know that our destination is certain. A few hours later, the husband passed away. So what is it that gives us, as Christ followers, that confidence? It's Jesus. It's Jesus, the everlasting kingdom of God. Whatever life throws your way, whatever you are going through right now, you can have gospel confidence because the story is finished. Jesus has won. He has won and he has joined you to him. Dale Ralph Davis says it like this. I love this. God's people in this world seldom have circumstantial certainty, but we can have kingdom certainty. The kingdom is attractive because the king is attractive. Point one, God speaks and life comes. Point two, God, the everlasting rock. As we come in to land our time together in this series, let me say this. This book, as we have seen time and time and time again, is meant to lead us to a response. Isn't meant to lead us into a response about how great David is. The whole purpose of this book is that we stand back and say, Jesus, you are the answer. It's that simple Sunday school answer. Jesus, Jesus, isn't he wonderful? See, Israel was never supposed to have a king of its own, as Samuel warned, but God granted it to them anyway. And in his redeeming love, he writes a story where the king himself is crowned on a cross. Crowned on a cross, raised three days later, and exalted to the right hand of the Most High, crowned Lord of Lords, King of Kings. In Jesus, we have life. Life in fullness and life as it's meant to be. In Jesus, we are joined to the everlasting rock, the immovable, everlasting love of Christ. You see, Jesus, because of his work on the cross, dying the death that I deserved, dying the death that you deserved, taking the punishment that should have been placed upon me, 
taking the punishment that should have been placed upon you, he leads us as a good shepherd to the place where we will receive a crown of glory that will never fade away. You see, Jesus, through his work on the cross, gives us certainty of a bright future and a great inheritance in him. Is life always easy? No. Will life give us challenges? Yeah. But we live with gospel certainty that one day he will return and make all things new. There'll be no pain. There'll be no brokenness. There'll be no tears. There is a day coming when Jesus will when we will join with all who have gone before us and we will cry, holy, 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 for the Lord God Almighty reigns. Let me just finish up by reading this wonderful question and answer to us, and then we're going to respond. It says, what is our only hope in life and death? That we are not our own, but that we belong, body and soul, both in life and death, to God and to our Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray.